0: Amen. Praise the Lord. If you'll look with me in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 6, we will continue our series in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, this evening we will consider the grace of forgiveness. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word as we've done. Uh, In previous weeks, we'll begin in verse 5 and read all the way through to verse 15 as this all holds together. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, may may the Holy Spirit illumine our hearts and our minds that we would receive humbly and believe, and by your grace respond to all that is found here in your word, Lord. Teach us to pray, and once again show us Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Cancelled. Cancelled. It's what happens to people all the time and what sociologists have now called a cancel culture. A cancel culture. To be canceled means at some point in a person's life they've said or done the wrong thing and are therefore no longer worthy of acknowledgement or support or favorable recognition in any way. And it goes beyond this. Cancellation doesn't... Mean only that you're canceled, but there's continued animosity uh, that uh, goes on into the future towards this canceled person. One slip up, one bad move, one questionable post online, and you, my friend, are done. You are canceled. Being canceled, however, doesn't just happen with public figures. We read about these things in the news. We hear about uh, some actor who uh, said something to someone, you know, 43 years ago, and now they're canceled. Um, uh, But this happens in our own uh, circles, doesn't it? Uh, To those of us who are ordinary people. It happens among friends. It happens among family. It happens among church members. A person says or does something wrong or or hurtful, and they are henceforth canceled, unfriended, cut out, blocked, deleted, removed. I just can't deal with this person. I am done. Sadly, many Christians have adopted the ways of the world, and rather than forgive, They cancel. It may not look quite like the world does it. It may not be so public. It may not be uh, so clear, but it's in our hearts. We cancel. I'm going to uh, say in a few minutes that these things, of course, are complex. Relationships are complex and challenging and difficult. And uh, you may say, well, Pastor, uh, what about this person who's sort of harassing me on my Facebook page? Uh, Should I allow them to keep doing that? Well, that's a whole other story, of course. But the point that's going to be made this evening, I think, is that as Christians, we are called to forgive. As we seek God's forgiveness, we are called as his children to extend that forgiveness to others. It's a very important point that we see all over Scripture. As a pastor for over 20 years, uh, it is my experience, uh, perhaps this would be true for uh, Reverend Barry, Reverend Hamilton, uh, any others here uh, who have been uh, in ministry. It's my experience that unforgiveness, that grudges are one of the single biggest obstacles to Christian maturity for ordinary believers. Grudges are an impediment to godliness. Indeed, an old grudge with deep roots is lethal to true piety. Unforgiveness also exposes a fundamental disconnect as it concerns the gospel. The question must be asked, does a person really understand God's forgiveness in Christ if he or she is unwilling to forgive others? Now, I want to say this. It's important to say this. Every bit of our obedience is somewhat compromised. Compromised. Never for one moment of any day of our entire lives do we obey as we ought. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Never one, never for one half second do we do that perfectly. There's always some element of our lives that are out of accord with the Word of God. And and we we seek to repent of any patterns of those sins, but we have remaining sin in us still. The point here is not to have these sort of patterns or unrepentant, unforgiveness and grudges in our hearts. Those who have those. Now, Christians are always working through forgiveness. Uh, They may be working through getting over, having bad feelings towards someone or forgiving someone, but they're repenting of those feelings of unforgiveness. They're working through it. They're, they're seeking counsel. And cur- it's not just they're letting it settle, gain roots, and that's just the way it is. That person who claims to know the forgiveness of Christ, who has no intention of forgiving others, ought to recognize that their soul, I believe, is in peril. It's not insignificant, then, that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that he included this clause, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is, my friends, basic to Christian discipleship. For here we are called to seek the forgiveness of God in Christ while also extending forgiveness to others it's what jesus declares in the verses immediately following the lord's prayer look at matthew 6:14 and 15 it's the only section of the lord's prayer where we have this clear sort of commentary verses 14 and 15 for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses this almost sounds like a works salvation you know, all we have to do is forgive others, and then God's going to forgive us. No, that's not what He's saying here at all. It's saying that one who has been born again, who has new life, a new heart, who has received the forgiveness of God, is one who is, is, is. is had their posture is one of forgiveness. Again, not with perfection, not working through it, but their posture is one of forgiveness, not holding grudges. In fact, we're called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Our hearts are to be hearts of forgiveness. And bitterness is poison to the soul. It's poison. I have met Christians, professing Christians, who have a kind of bitterness in their heart that stinks. It stinks. You can almost smell it. It is rotten. And it sort of shapes and forms, the way they look at life, the lenses through which, which they view relationships and people and situations and churches. And there's this sort of festering bitterness there that is just causing anger and hatred and is driven by fear. And, and it's, it's so diametrically opposed to true piety where one is willing to forgive even as Christ has forgiven us. Let's make no mistake about it, beloved. To seek God's forgiveness while withholding it from others is the height of hypocrisy. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so we come once again to the Lord's Prayer. We have been in this prayer for weeks, and we have learned so much. We've uh, opened the Lord's Prayer with our Father. We learn that uh, as we come to the Lord, we come uh, corporately. Our our mindset is to be a a, a churchly mindset. Uh, We are the body of Christ, and so we pray our Father. And we don't simply pray our God, but we pray our Father because in Christ God is not just our God, uh, he is our Abba Father, and he dwells in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Our prayer is that God's name would be hallowed, not just in our own hearts, reverencing him, but also in the world. O Lord, may your name be revered in the world. It's our prayer as Christians. Thy kingdom come. We are kingdom-minded Christians. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, We are kingdom-minded in that we want to see his kingdom extend to the farthest reaches of the earth, but we also want his kingdom to come and to be established on earth. It's kind of a, a, a double meaning there where we recognize that right now we are on mission to preach the gospel and to plant churches and to strengthen churches all over the world, but, but ultimately that prayer is fulfilled in Christ coming back and, and, and establishing his kingdom on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our, our prayer is that the will of God, namely his commands, his revealed will is done in our own hearts and in those around us and all over the earth, even as the angels obey perfectly in heaven. O oh Lord, would you give us obedient hearts? And, and then last week we looked at give us this day our daily bread. Uh, we are totally and utterly dependent physically and spiritually upon the Lord. And so we pray daily for our daily bread and we recognize our dependence upon the Lord. Then we come to verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Once again, you see how the Lord's Prayer forms this kind of skeleton upon which we put the flesh uh, of our our understanding of Scripture. Our prayers are, are, are filled with, God's truth and promises that are attached and connected to these principles laid forth in uh, the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, we see two different clauses here. We are to pray for forgiveness and we are to forgive others. Uh, So let's think about these two things. First of all, we are called to pray for forgiveness. One might ask, how do we do this? How do we pray for forgiveness? It's not simply, Lord, forgive me, and it's sort of a mindless thing we do when we pray. Uh, we pray, uh, first of all, when we pray for forgiveness, we acknowledge and we confess our sin. Uh, boys and girls, look here at Pastor John. I know you're taking good notes. I know you're taking good notes. The first part of forgiveness is to acknowledge our sin that is, I, I did this, to confess that sin. To God and perhaps to the one whom you sinned against. If you clearly know who you've sinned against, you confess that. So this is not something we only do once. We do it every day. But someone might ask, why do we have to ask for forgiveness regularly if we are already forgiven? I once had a dear family member many, many years ago. Uh, Basically, rebuke me for praying for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Why'd you do that, sir? Uh, Our sins are already forgiven. Um, And uh, this family member embraced some form of perfectionism, so Christians don't sin anymore. They make mistakes, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, Why do we pray for forgiveness? Uh, When our sin, our past sin, our present sin, our future sin... Uh, is forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Why do we pray for forgiveness? The answer is that acknowledging and confessing sin and seeking God's forgiveness is a central aspect to our sanctification, to our growth in Christ. Beloved, our relationship to God is not mechanical. It's relational. And so while we continue to fight against and struggle with sin, it is only right that when we sin, And we displease our father with our sin that we confess it to him. And that we confess it perhaps to others if we sinned against them in order to maintain and strengthen our human relationships, particularly in the church. Our relationship with God is not mechanical, it's relational. God is our loving father and we are his redeemed children. We are co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, when we sin against him, we seek forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. What kind of a walk with God would it be if we never ask God for forgiveness? We seek God's grace to mortify remaining indwelling sin. A part of this is acknowledging our sin and confessing our sin. We don't want to have secret sin. Secret sin is what destroys lives. When we allow sin to fester and to grow patterns and like weeds to grow uh, Uh, to grow strong into our hearts and to take over our lives. Therefore, when we sin against God, we seek forgiveness. We confess our sin. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we acknowledge and confess our sin. We also repent of our sin. We repent of our sin. We don't just confess it. Yeah, I did this. And then just kind of go on. No, we repent. It's not enough to acknowledge and confess our sin. We are called to actively turn from it, to repent of it. This is a, a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of attitude. Okay, this is a turning away from that which displeases God and a turning toward God and what pleases Him. This is not something we do once but every day. It's, it's what Luther wrote in the uh, first Uh, of his 95 Theses, that uh, repentance or penitence is not something that happens once at the outset of the Christian life. It's something we do every day. It's a part of our relationship with God and our sanctification. Thirdly, though, okay, so we don't, when we seek forgiveness, we not only acknowledge and confess our sin and repent of our sin, but thirdly, we exercise faith in Christ, We exercise faith in Christ. The one who is teaching us to pray in Matthew 6 is also the one who provides us with forgiveness through his atoning blood. In Hebrews 9.22, it states that without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so through Christ's shed blood on the cross, We receive forgiveness. Therefore, to pray, forgive us our debts. We are acknowledging and confessing our sins, repenting of them, and clinging to Jesus by faith for the cancellation of the debt that's been mounted in our lives against us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, two of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, effectual calling, having forgiven us all our trespasses, now listen, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Imagine how long the list would be, how long the parchment would be, how long the computer printout would be, even if it was like six-point font. If all of our sins were put on the page and rolled out, all of it, all of it was nailed to the cross. Oh, the debt that we owe. How massive it must be. I want you to imagine for a moment that if every sin you ever committed, sins of omission, things you should have done that you did not do, or sins of commission, the things you did that you should not have done, were represented by an acorn and placed in a pile. Just imagine for a moment. Every sin of omission, every sin of commission, is represented by an acorn and placed in a pile. How big would that pile be? It would be, in my own case, like Mount Everest. Mountainous, reaching up to the sky. All those sins, every sin committed as a child, every sin committed in, as a teenager, every sin committed in college, every sin committed on the athletic field, every sin committed in your marriage, every sin committed in relation to your job, every sin uh, you've committed in your relationship to the church or in your relationship with God, every single sin. That debt piled so high reaching to the heavens, all of it canceled. Not one acorn left as you stand before God, not one. Christ paid the debt in full. If he paid all but one acorn, we would go to hell. But he paid it all. He satisfied God's justice. He paid it all. Oh the debt that we owe. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. That's the first part of this petition. It's that we it's that which we receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That that's once for all work on the cross, we receive his forgiveness. But we receive that ongoing forgiveness, which is a reminder of that great forgiveness received at the cross. But this is not all we are praying in this prayer. It says here, as we forgive our debtors. The force and meaning of this petition, I think, is found in Matthew 18, 21 and following. And, and nowhere in Scripture do I believe we have a clear commentary on forgiveness, then in Matthew 18, 21 and following. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? Matthew 18, 21 and following. It's always interesting that the Apostle Peter is the one asking the questions. You can imagine the disciples sort of off to the side saying, you ask him, no, you ask him. I mean, how many times do I have to forgive this jerk over there, uh, you know, he's messed my fishing nets up so many times. He doesn't even say he's sorry. I mean, how many times do you think Jesus wants us to forgive people? He talks about forgiveness all the time. Ah, Peter says, I'll ask him. I'll ask him. I see Peter walking up and saying to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter answers his own question. You know, people do that. They come and they they ask you a question, then they begin to answer it for like 10 minutes. You're like, "Now why are you here again?" Peter asks him a question, and then he says, "As many as 7 times?" As many as 7 times. In other words, Peter is saying that many times, even 7. Peter presents to Jesus what he sees as Extravagant forgiveness. Lavish forgiveness. Seven times. Lord, would you want us to forgive as many as seven times? A whole seven times? Jesus says, no. Not seven times, but 70 times. Seven. Wow. That's 490 times. So what this is teaching here is that after you've forgiven someone 490 times, that's it. They're canceled. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what this is teaching, obviously. What's going on here is hyperbole. What's going on here is hyperbole. And and Jesus isn't talking about an exact number. That's not the point. The point is generosity. The point is extravagant grace. The number merely emphasizes the idea that we don't keep count. We don't keep count. There's no limit to the forgiveness we show to others. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, in this broken world, where things get very complicated and complex, where sometimes relationship can be sometimes even dangerous, there are times we need to put up boundaries, clearly, clearly. However, forgiveness must be the posture and rule of our hearts as Christians. Even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, being mocked and spit upon and scorned, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's extraordinary. I'm always struck, I'm always struck by those who say that a person's, behavior is unforgivable. What you did here, I can forgive you for, but this is unforgivable. Full stop. Cancelled. Never to be forgiven. Aren't you glad God is not like that? I'm so thankful God is not like that. And it's the parable of the unforgiving servant that comes on the heels of the text that we just read. In Matthew 18, 23 through 35, we have this marvelous parable which drives these points home. Look with me there, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that might not mean much to you because we don't work in this kind of money. But I looked up what this would be today. $161 million. The point, again, is hyperbolic. That in a thousand lifetimes, this person would never be able to pay this back. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. Of course, that was impossible. It was impossible for him to pay him back. But in his desperation, he says, please have mercy on me. Have mercy on my family. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, which is equivalent to four months' wages for this person. And seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. The same thing he said to the king. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, what a text. And does this not drive home the very thing that we are to be considering in the Lord's Prayer, every time we pray it? Lord forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? This is this why Christ gives extra commentary in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew six? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This passage, in its hyperbole of the $161 million owed and the impossibility of paying it back, is teaching us that we ourselves cannot pay back our debt that we owe to God. It is impossible. And we could attempt to do something for eternity and it would never work. And the prison being spoken of here is representative of hell. And those in hell will pay for sin. But God is a God of mercy. And here we are called not only to contemplate God's generous and extravagant love and mercy and forgiveness towards us, he has forgiven us The 161 million, it's nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. But in this light, we are called to reflect that same generous mercy and forgiveness towards others. Repenting of pride that we would hold on to grudges and unforgiveness. It's rooted in pride. We need to let go of the hurt, let go of the fear, And forgive, even as we have been forgiven. As I have said, this doesn't uh, negate sometimes uh, the need for boundaries in relationships. But it does clearly teach that we have to have a heart of forgiveness for those who sin against us. You see, we don't cancel others like the world does we forgive from the heart rt france bible commentator said this quote what god has forgiven his people is beyond human calculation that's the point of this parable and shouldn't this foster in us a heart of love and mercy towards others and so how do we respond to this how do we respond to this tonight brothers and sisters first and foremost I want to say this, and this connects to earlier on in the passage where we have the Matthew 18 passage about confronting others. We, we need to confront others, not cancel them. If someone has offended you, if someone has sinned against you, don't harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I have also found when there is this kind of clear communication between Christians, I'm thinking of Christians in particular here, that oftentimes there's miscommunication at the very root of the offense. A misunderstanding. I remember I was visiting a family in my former congregation, and uh, there, actually, I take that back. One of our elders was visiting a member of our congregation, and this dear lady wept over this pastoral letter that I had written and uh, felt so offended by what I had said in the letter. And, and uh, the ruling elder was just completely baffled and said, that's not what Pastor John meant at all. Nowhere close. And she just had this look of relief and, I, you know, oh, my goodness. And so then I was able to, to talk to her later, and it was wonderful how all that worked out. But the, the point is that the anger... Uh, the disappointment, uh, the unforgiveness that was there was based on a misunderstanding. And when we don't talk to each other, that's often what can happen. Isn't that right? We've all experienced that. So we go, we, 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 we share, and perhaps there is a sin that's been committed and there needs to be reconciliation. And when we do this, this gives a person the chance to ask for forgiveness and to repair relationships. Relationships. I remember a dear woman coming to me in my former congregation and saying, Pastor, I had a family member die and you didn't contact me. It was very hurtful. And I was just so rebuked and felt so sorry for that. And I had the chance, the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. Would you please forgive me for not being in touch when your family member had died? And she said, yes, I forgive you, Pastor. It was a wonderful moment. There was restoration. So we need this to be true, not only in our relationships in the church, but also in our marriage, in a parent-child relationship, and on and on we could go. Do not allow walls to be built up with others. Seek restoration through forgiveness. And the second thing I want to say is we need to be willing to humbly forgive others. Let's not cancel people. Uh, Many, many years ago, I was counseling a couple in their 60s, not in this congregation. And they had had issues from very early on in their marriage. And it was extraordinary to me. What I heard as I began to try to peel back the onion, as I met with them, And at one point, I said, well, when did all of this start? When did these walls start going up? And one of the spouses said, well, I remember when my spouse made this comment to me 30 years ago. We were getting out of the bed. We were starting our morning, and my spouse made a comment to me, and it really hurt me. And at that moment... I shut my heart, and it's been shut for 30 years. Now that I am 39 years old, no, now that I am 52 years old, I understand how the years can roll on, and you could harbor unforgiveness and bitterness year after year after year. You wake up one day, and it's been 30 years. You've been harboring something against somebody. It's not the way Christians are called to live we have been forgiven of so much, ought we not to forgive others? We come to the Lord's table every Sunday, and as we come, we're reminded that we are not to come with unforgiveness in our hearts, it makes a mockery of the table. It's a hypocritical to say, "Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to withhold my forgiveness uh, to others. This table reminds us of this, and it's one reason I believe why we've had and enjoyed so much unity at Christ church uh, for the past 10 years, and why we enjoyed unity in the church previous to that for 10 years. I'm not saying that uh, difficult things can't happen in a church where they have weekly communion, but I will testify that at this table, unity is cultivated, Christ-centered unity, because we are called to examine ourselves and to repent of unforgiveness as we come to receive the forgiveness of Christ. Gospel leads to grace in our relationships. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. May we not be like the cancel culture around us. May we be different. May we surprise people that work with a kind word in response to a harsh one. May we surprise family members who perhaps you've been at odds with, with a word of kindness and forgiveness. This is what we are called to, even as we enjoy the extravagant love and mercy and forgiveness of Christ. Amen? Well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this brief time in your word. And we do ask, O Lord, that as we've been forgiven for so much, That we would love much and forgive others much, and may it all be to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let us stand and sing. Arise, my.